The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, striving as always to be your nation's public radio resource for the education and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And here on Real Life Real Estate, we try to kind of strike the balance between the the talk about cash strategies and the talk about wealth building strategies, the national gurus whose name you know, and the regional experts whose name you probably don't, the the more technical, you know, how do you do it kind of interviews and the more uh, broad based, uh, how do you make it all work <laughs> kinds of interviews. And today we're going to hone in on a strategy that is uh, both kind of a wealth builder and a cash producer, but really more toward the wealth building side, which uh, I think we haven't spent enough time on recently here on the show. And we have with us one of those regional experts that you may not have may not have ever heard his name, but he's somebody that you need to get to know. His name is Matt Reed, and he is uh, from the Cleveland, Ohio area. He has been a full-time real estate investor, specializing in lease options, but also doing uh, rehabs and some wholesale deals and, and, and other things throughout the years, and uh, has done over 600 of these deals to date. And we're going to talk today about lease options and kind of really dig into how they work, what you need to know to go out and start using this strategy to uh, build your own wealth and make some cash. Joining us today from his home in the Cleveland area is Matt Reed. Matt, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Thank you very much, Vina. I appreciate it here. Uh, being here with you and sharing some great tips with your listeners. Yes, and uh, i i want to I want to start the show by talking about um, what's going on in the Cleveland market. I mean, we have we have guests here from all over the country, and I'm always curious about what are you experiencing there versus my last guest in Oklahoma City versus the one uh-huh. before that in Jacksonville. Um. One thing in Cleveland, we have a very diverse area property mix from A areas to D areas, but we have a surprisingly high rent-to-price ratio, and we are very area-specific. So if you're not knowledgeable about our specific area, I strongly recommend that you get somebody that is. What I mean by a high rent-to-price ratio, meaning we're able to pick up a solid B-class area property for, say, 50000 
that rents for nine fifty, whereas that same property in Indianapolis or Cincinnati may only rent for six seventy five. Mm-hmm. In general, and may cost seventy thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, we're, we're kind of an abnormality, and we have a huge resurg- resurgence in Cleveland. But what many people that are flocking from all over the world doesn't realize is that it's it's street by street, area by area, and that's that's where our knowledge base comes in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it is entirely possible to spend fifty thousand dollars on a house in Cleveland and have paid ten times for it what you should have. Correct. <laughs> is is the Correct. warning is the warning for those out of town buyers who are not familiar with Cleveland and they see something on eBay and they say, "Man, how could you lose at twenty thousand dollars?" Well, Vina, I just came from a two bedroom house that I can buy in a in a decent area for eight thousand. Believe it or not, and I don't want it because it does not have the criteria that would make it profitable asset in our portfolio. Mm-hmm. So. That's the key that I want a lot of listeners to know is area-specific, the right asset, and pay a fair price for that asset. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, so put on your put on your big boy belt if you're going to go invest in the Cleveland area, is I think what I yes. am hearing here. Now, you, you actually... Um, don't I don't think you do a, a ton like in the city of Cleveland. When when people think Cleveland, they they probably realize it's a whole. I mean that whole corner of the state is basically Cleveland, right? But there's a whole lot like any like any other midwestern city. Correct. There's a lot of municipalities um, there. Yes, I we actually um, I focus on believe it or not a lot of the city Cleveland on the west side. It's basically the east side and west side talk. We uh, focus. Most of our properties are in a stabilized part in, like, the B areas of the West Park, Cleveland area. And then we do a lot in the uh, decent suburb working class areas surrounding the city of Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and Well, and these, and these, uh, these properties that you work in are, are typically going to be – Cleveland's not a new city. Cleveland is, <laughs> Cleveland is not a place where, you know, like Orlando, where it seems like everything was built after 1980. Correct. Um, I'm very disciplined that I want to stay in the range of 1950, which is, this is a newer area of Cleveland, 1950 to 1970. Whereas we tend to stay away from the houses that were built in 1900s or 1910, which is crazy because I talked to some California investors and they're like, if it's it's built before 2000, it's old. (laughs) So we want to stay in the 1950s and above Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for, 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 our portfolio, mm-hmm. and and just again to give some to give folks some background who may not be familiar with Ohio, and and to to lead into the next part of our conversation, which is sure. about properties that are lease optioning. A, a three bedroom house in a B class area, all fixed up, has an after repaired value of between what and what? Um, we're going to say in the. I think I just went through this with some appraisals. Mid mid sixties to low seventies. Um, that we're maybe going to be an all-in for high 40s to high 50s mm-hmm. that will bring in uh, oh, roughly 875 to 975 a month, okay. which, is a, which is a very reasonable uh, cap rate, and it still has some value okay. in our area. 
Okay. All right. So that, that gives us some, some feel for what we are going to launch into after the break, which is your strategy of buying these houses and then uh, selling them on lease option. And listeners, we're going to get into the whys. We're going to get into the hows. The thing that we are not going to do, unfortunately, is we're not going to be able to take your questions because... Uh, we are pre-recording this program for the simple reason that I am in Philadelphia doing a wholesaling academy while you are listening to this show. So uh, I I took a bunch of notes, uh, going to ask a bunch of questions, but um, you're going to have to just sit and listen. I'm not going to be able to give out the phone numbers because there will be no one here to answer your questions. Uh, sorry about that, but I really, really, really wanted to get uh, Matt on the air before uh, he comes to Cincinnati and Columbus in the next couple of months. He's doing um, uh, meetings for Cincinnati RIA in July and for Central Ohio RIA in June. And you can get more information about that at centralohioria.com or at cincinnatiria.com. In both cases, that's R-E-I-A at the end. Um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to talk about why lease options and how they work. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Talking today to Matt Reed from the Cleveland area about the strategy of lease options. And um, Matt, I think this is something that, you know, a lot of a lot of folks have kind of heard of it, or maybe they've heard it called rent to own or lease purchase. It's all kind of the same thing. And um, some of them might be familiar with it more from the, the side of being a buyer, but we're really talking about you selling properties via initially a lease with an option to buy uh, to, to folks who ultimately want to purchase the property. Just big picture, talk about why you are so into these. I mean, you have done so many of these. Why? Well, th- thank you very much for the pat on the back. Uh, the reason was I started in the rental property business, and I absolutely hated two things, late night phone calls and crazy maintenance bills. When we put a property on what's called a rent-to-own solution, which is a lease with the option to buy, the tenant is responsible for all of the maintenance. And maintenance usually in a rental situation will take up anywhere between 10, oh, let's just say 8 to 12% of the annual gross rent. Um, putting a property on a rent-to-own or lease-to-own, same terminology, we virtually have zero maintenance. Sure, some things do come up that we take care of just on a customer service basis, but our tenants act like homeowners, and we call them homeowners in training, and they are more apt to renovate or help out the property than take a screen door off. And that's what I love because it adds substantially to the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you get cash flow. I mean, Correct. basically, just a just a kind of... Uh, define a lease option from a little bit more of like a, a, a legal technical perspective. It It is a lease. Sure. I mean, it's a rental agreement that looks a lot like any other rental agreement that any of our listeners might have ever seen. But it has, along with it accompanying it, this option agreement, which is the right to buy the property at some future point, at some price that we've agreed upon and under some terms that we have agreed upon. So the option sort of looks like if you didn't know any better, it sort of looks like a purchase agreement just with a closing date that's several years in the future instead of right now. Correct. Basically, and once again, I'm not an attorney, but 
It's two separate agreements, a standardized lease with the terms and conditions. It could be three years. And then you have an option to purchase, say, for $70,000. Um, and you're going to put down some non-refundable option money uh, that's variable. And usually we try to strive for 5 to 8%. But let's just say on that $70,000 home, this person would put down, say, $5,000 upfront non-refundable deposit, and then they're paying, say, $900 a month rent. Now, that 900 is strictly rent. We don't do any rent credits. Um, they changed, the banking changed the law, and that's a whole other story, but that would be their base rent. Um, and then they can purchase the property if and when their financing goes through within that same three years. And that's pretty much the overall picture. And along the way, they're taking care of the home, they're paying the water bills, they're automatically depositing their money in our checking accounts, and it's pretty much a hassle-free, relatively hassle-free, transparent investment. Mm -hmm. Now, what part of these agreements? Because you've got you've got the the lease, the rental agreement, that really um, you can't you can't make a tenant responsible for repair. So we've got we've got this tenant in this house who's going to be a buyer later. Does the does the part about, hey, as part of this agreement, you're taking care of the property, does that go into the option? Um, through our attorney that set up a, a pretty extensive lease that I will be sharing uh, when I speak, um, it's, it's pretty much terms very similar to a commercial triple net lease where we are warranting the major items in the house for one year for good faith. You know, we're putting in a brand new furnace. We're putting in a brand new hot water tank. We're warranting the uh, main electrical uh, and the I'm sorry, in the central air. But they're taking care of anything like if their child would put a little Tonka truck down the toilet, they're handling that. Mm -hmm. If they break the screen door, they're handling that. And that's all outlined in this as is lease VR attorney, and it's, uh, it's it works. Mm -hmm. What do you do when the tenant, uh, any given tenant, let me say that, um, comes back to you and says, yeah, my toilet has a Tonka truck in it and you need to come fix it? Very similar. I have a, a client that she's been in the property almost three years. Uh, one of her children overstuffed the toilet, caused the main line to back up. She's been there three years. She hasn't called us at all. I just sent my plumber out on a customer service basis and said, even though it's not in your lease, we're taking care of this for you. Thank you very much. Uh -huh. So it's, it's, on a, it's on kind of a case-by-case -case basis, but we want to have happy clients. I just don't want somebody calling me, you know, calling our management company at 10 o'clock at night saying, you know, replace a light bulb or else I'm not paying rent. Uh -huh. That's uh -huh. traditionally how people think of rental property. Uh -huh. Yeah, and I, I, think, I think folks need to know that throughout the country, not just in Ohio, uh, landlords are legally responsible for the condition of the property for the health safety maintenance all that kind of stuff correct. and well cuz cuz i mean this is a minor this is a minor point but i want to i want people to hear it loud and clear because you know and i know cuz we've both sat in these seminars that there's folks out there teaching that you can somehow force the tenant to t to do repairs and maintenance. And that's not what it is. It's more of an agreement that says, here's what I'm doing for you. I'm giving you the chance to buy this house. Here's what you're doing for me. You're taking care of the, of the maintenance and repairs as they come up. Now, if the tenant then breaks their side of that agreement and does call you in the middle of the night about a light bulb, 
you got to fix it because you're, you're legally you are still the landlord. But usually in most agreements, the um, the teeth in that right, there's a carrot and a stick mm-hmm. and the stick is you you act like a tenant. You're going to be a tenant. You're going to lose your option to buy. It's it, it, part of part of your option consideration is not only your agreement to do this, but your performance in doing it. And I, I, I again, sure. I don't want to sound like I'm I'm beating this minor point into the ground, but I, I, you, you and I were both were both in seminars where it, they acted like that sure. wasn't the way it was. Um, I, I think one good point is to bring up as an example: our tenants are responsible for the water and sewer. The bills are sent to them, but in the event that they do not pay that water bill and they get a disconnected notice we have to pay it up because it, it eventually falls on us. Mm-hmm. So it is a tenant's responsibility, but looking in the big picture, sometimes we have to help out a tenant and they have to you know, repay us for the water bill. <laughs> it's just a fact of owning property. Mm-hmm. But we're working together with this tenant to make them a homeowner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so let, let's walk through how these deals work for you. And we've already talked some about the property. You said you like the the kind of bread and butter type of areas. They're going to be seventy to eighty thousand dollar houses. I assume you like like a three bedroom in a perfect world. Correct. I try to stay very disciplined on either a three to four bedroom bungalow or a three bedroom or four bedroom ranch. Not something with crazy layouts. Uh, something that but we want to we want to try to systemize as best as possible with a cookie cutter home mm-hmm. that's very nicely renovated mm-hmm. and that was yeah that was the next question uh well actually let's let, let's stick with the is is there anything else about i mean do you do you have to have a garage do you have to have a driveway do you is there anything else that would just um, make you say no no in, in a perfect world i definitely want a garage uh you know a garage with no driveway it's pretty much a killer for us there's too many other houses that i would rather pay another five thousand or eight thousand for that fit our mold rather than trying to create another product that I'm not sure. The more systematized you can get, you want to look for those assets, and then when you find them, you pick them up and hold on to them for good cash flow. Interesting. So I don't want a 1910 house with two bedrooms. One bedroom goes through another bedroom to a bathroom and uh, <laughs> kitchen in the basement. So you, you know what I'm talking about, or, <laughs> yes. or or the enclosed front room. People call a bedroom now. That's crazy stuff. Uh huh. Okay. Okay, and and you like him to be in a particular you know nineteen fifties to seventies sort of age range, and and that explains how you're able to pick up all ranches and bungalows because that's what they built nineteen fifty to nineteen seventy. Exactly, and, and the majority and the majority of those are about a thousand to fourteen hundred square feet. Okay, I don't want anything you know super small, seven hundred square foot with a two bedroom. It just it limits your market. Okay, okay, and then I believe I just heard you say that you do stabilize these properties. Absolutely, 100%. We would like to beautify the area and make this house pretty much 90 to 95% what it would look like if you were going to sell this traditionally. Mm-hmm. doesn't have to be perfect, but we're going to freshly paint it, new kitchen countertops, refinish hardwood floors, carpeting, because we've found out that we're going to spend a little bit more money on our property, but our clients appreciate that, and they're going to treat it nicer. Mm-hmm. doesn't happen all the time, but most of the time, do not skimp. Um, we're always replacing faucets. I don't want to hear, you know, hey, our faucet's leaking and this and that. Just replace it when you buy the property. It's it's a hundred dollars. Uh huh. Well, and of course, the other thing that that does in this price range that you're talking about is it makes it easier for the buyer to actually afford the house. If they if Correct. they if they buy a house that hasn't been taken care of in twenty years, 
It doesn't matter how right. cheap you make it for them, they're going to get nickeled and dimed to death in repair costs. Right. Uh, you know, we're getting rid of the old, uh, the old uh, gravity furnaces. You know, a new furnace costs 1800 to $2,000. People appreciate that because they're going to have lower gas bills and more efficiency. All right, so stabilized property. So I think everybody's got the picture of of what you are buying now. How much are you looking to pay for this property? Um, in our area, and, and once again, I want your listeners to know, you know, there's different areas. There's a B area, a C area, and a D area. A areas are usually suburbs. We focus on B areas and maybe some C, C plus areas. We want to be into these houses all in for oh high 40s to mid 50s that are going to be in a area that's stable or going up. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty much our business model. And then maybe that property that we're going to be all in for 55, maybe we'll sell it for 69 or 72 when they get their financing. So so basically you're, you're close to that rule that everybody talks about, about be all in for 70% of the value. Uh, roughly, yes. Uh, I, I will even stretch it to a better area, maybe even 75 but, you know, to be all in at 40%, you're going to be in a war zone, and it's going to look cool on paper, but you're never going to get your money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so you got this nice little house, um, mm-hmm. very affordable, and, you know, again, we don't want to scare off people who are living in, you know, Dallas and going, there's no such thing as a nice $80,000 house. Just put a one in front of the number, you know, it's, it's <laughs> the, same, the same idea works. If you're in California, put a zero Absolutely. at the back end. Same idea works. It's just we're, we're discussing conceptually what neighborhoods do these work in and what kinds of properties do they work on. And right. uh, so now you've, you've got it all ready and it's it's mm-hmm. ready to bring in one of these tenant buyers. How do you go about trying to find that person? Well, I'd, I'd like everybody to realize if you have a nice property that's priced right in a decent area, you're going to be inundated with phone calls. Um, usually a sign in the front yard with a couple of pointer signs and the nearest intersection, and a couple of Craigslist ads, you're going to be inundated with clients because they want, number one, they want a good property owner, and they want a solid property. And these these homes usually go under lease within, oh, geez, two weeks, three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the demand is huge. There's so many people out there that are right on the verge of getting financing that can't and they just want a nice property that they would like to buy when the financing goes through. So signing a tenant buyer is not a problem. Signing the best tenant buyer, it's well worth your listener's time. Don't just take the first person. Take the best overall picture because that's how you're going to make your best long-term income. Excellent. When we come back, we're going to dive into the lease option itself, what the agreements look like, how much money you're going to collect up front, how long the term is going to be, all of that good sort of stuff. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and I'm talking today to Matt Reed from the Cleveland area, who's talking about... Uh, his process for buying properties and lease optioning them. And Matt, I don't want to. I don't want to jump ahead because, like, when you come to Columbus in June and to Cincinnati mm-hmm. in July to talk about this, you're going to have overheads and charts and all that fun stuff that we can't do on the radio. Um, but I, I, I can just hear listeners saying, "Okay, but how's he paying for these things?" So without without giving away your whole process there. 
let's talk about where the money's coming from. Well, first of all, um, if you have a solid, valuable asset, private money is the best way to go with people that like and trust you. Meaning, this does have a realistic after repair value of 70K. You're maybe going to be all in for 50. After somebody knows you have the knowledge, you're going to be able to call somebody and say, I need 50,000 for this deal. We're going to pay you X amount of percent. You're going to have a first mortgage against this property, and we're going to provide you for some extra, for some solid income, maybe out of your 401k, maybe out of your cash, but yet it's going to be safe and it's probably going to pay five to 10 times the amount the bank would pay you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It takes education and a solid business plan. So, so long story short, you're not going to banks to get this money. You're going to people to get this money. Correct. <laughs> okay. Correct. And, and let me, uh, the, uh, what you just said sort of um, brought a question to my mind that I think listeners are going to kind of be going, I don't understand something about this. If if these houses are legitimately worth 70 and you're in them for 50, maybe 55, why don't you just sell them for 70? Well, that sounds that sounds great, and a lot of gurus have been teaching that for years and years, but when you figure your holding cost, your realtor commissions, plus your seller's credit, you're doing a lot of work for maybe a profit of five to $8,000, in my opinion. I would rather hold that long-term asset for maybe a cash flow of, as an example, $400 a month and having a, an extra back-end bump of, oh, say $20,000 and have the same asset producing every month. I call these little 401ks because they pay us every month. Well, and and, that's exciting for me. And you forgot about the biggest, well, you may not have forgotten, maybe you're blocking it, <laughs> the, the, uh-huh. biggest, okay. the biggest expense that's going to cut that what looks like a $15,000 profit, right? I, I, I'm i in it for 55 Correct. I sold it for 70 It looks like a $15,000 profit. The big thing that's going to cut that down to yeah. tiny bits yes. of money is the is the taxes. Correct. And you've got short-term capital gains versus the long-term capital gains, which talk to your accountant and he will, he will set your world straight. <laughs> um, quick yeah. story, I did my first deal a long time ago. We actually sold it just before a year, and I didn't even want to do it. And my partner wanted to close on it. And the tax implications on a $40,000 deal went from long-term capital gains to 35 or 40%. And we could have just held on to the property for another month and stalled or paid, I don't know, whatever it is. That's the difference. And it was about $15,000 in a loss for mm-hmm. us because mm-hmm. we sold it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, there were, that's that's the big reason. I mean, there are others. People will pay more for a house if you give them three years to buy it. I mean, mm-hmm. re- realistically, if you put it on the market for seventy, probably somebody come and try and beat you down to sixty-five. If it's worth yeah. seventy, you can realistically sell it on a lease option for seventy-two, seventy-three. Nobody will say a word because they got three years to buy it. I mean, there's there's all there's all sorts of there's all sorts of advantages to holding on to it a little a little bit longer, not selling it right away. And once again, I want to tell your listeners, we're selling a property, maybe it has a current value of now of 70, maybe we're doing a three-year deal at 75, we're not trying to bait them into something and selling it to them for 150000 that's bad business. We're just working with our clients and maximizing our back-end profits mm-hmm. with no realtor commissions. Mm-hmm. And one more, one more hint for listeners before we dive into the, what do these lease options look like? 
um, if you hold the property for a lease option and then you ultimately sell it to your tenant buyer, you can do a 1031 exchange and not pay any taxes at all. We're not going to get into that, but if you go back sure. in the if you go back in the podcasts on realliferealestate.com, dot uh, com, maybe two months and look for Scott Ellsworth CPA. We did a whole show sure. about ten thirty one exchanges and how you can just flat out avoid uh, legally, of course, avoid paying taxes on these things. Okay, so lease and, options. And, and, and just one more thing, I think it would be called deferring the taxes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Sorry. tax deferred exchange. Yeah, so I'm I'm going to defer. Right. I'm going to defer it right till the time when I die, and then my heirs can deal with it. How about that? Yes. Okay. So, um, the agreements themselves. We we've sort of been interweaving some of the jargon around lease options, and um, I think we I think we're we're pretty clear on we've got this lease, and the lease says all the things leases say. You know, you got to you got to pay your rent. Here's how much it is. Um, there's a late fee if you pay it late. If you don't pay, I'm going to evict you. You're not going to correct. You're not going to deal drugs or you know mm-hmm. junk cars or whatever out of out of the house. All, all the things correct. that you would expect correct. a lease to say. So that's that part is pretty common. It's the other agreement, the option agreement, that I think people sit and go, I don't, I don't know what that should say. And I, before before we get into that, of course we're going to say. If you don't have a good lease option that someone else has created, go to an attorney and get one. Don't don't sit here and try and make it up yourself I, based on what you're about to hear on the I, radio. I, I fully, fully agree with you, Zena. I get people on a weekly basis that maybe they live in California and they say, hey, Matt, can I have your lease purchase lease with option agreement for Ohio? Well, that, that's apples and oranges. Please. Pay your attorney five hundred dollars or a thousand dollars for consulting, so you do things the right way. Mm-hmm. It's 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 so important, and mm-hmm. I can't uh, tell you that enough. Mm-hmm. Get a good real estate attorney. All right, so you have mentioned some terms that I want to get deeper into. Sure. That, that that are that are part of the option. One is the option fee. What is what is the option fee? What does it do? The option fee is a non-refundable fee credited to the seller upon closing towards his down payment and closing costs. Okay. So so non-refundable meaning if you buy it like you say you want to and like I want you to, it's going to be deducted from what you owe me when we close. If you don't buy it, I'm keeping it. That's absolutely correct. There is no deposit. It's a lease option fee. So in a big picture... If the people put up $4,000 up front, and when they go to the bank, the bank says you need a total of 6000 to close this, they already have 4000 They only need to come up with 2000 And you're making that fly with banks. You're, you're convincing the banks that you've just been holding on to $4,000 of their down payment for the last three years? Absolutely. They have, well, first of all, everything you have to do is in checks because banks are going to want to see statements. You know, if you say, hey, I gave, uh, I gave Matt's company 10000 in cash, that's not going to fly. <laughs> it all has to be handled correctly with checks, with the correct documents, and banks will see that that is used for the down payment. I'm glad to hear that because they went through a they went through a phase after the market crashed mm-hmm. where they didn't want to count option fee. They were like, "Fine, you can deduct it from the amount that you owe, but we're not counting it towards your down payment." No, uh, and, and that's and we can get into this when I when I come to see you in those cities, but. That's why we do not do rent credits because banks, in my in, in what I've seen, will not accept a rent credit towards a cash number for their down payments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. 
So the option fee is recorded in the option. It says it's it was this much money. It is non-refundable. However, it will be applied toward your down payment or purchase price upon closing. And then yep. another term that you mentioned was was option period. What is the option Correct. period? Now, very very uh, interesting that you said that. I first of all really want my tenant buyer to close on this. If and we deal with a lot of people who have gone through bankruptcies, and in the current banking industry, you need about three years to go through to be able to get a, a regular loan. If this person filed a year ago, I know he needs two years. I'm not going to do what some people will do, meaning just set them up for one year. I want to give them adequate time to perform. So we usually use a bank a, a bridge of three years, but I, I want the listeners to know. If they still need time after that three years, I'll give them another three years. Maybe we can change the terms and conditions, but I don't want to say you can't perform, leave. If that person has been cash flowing nicely, keeping this house pretty, we'll extend out the deal. Not a problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so typically, three years. Typically, you use three. General. Okay. Okay. Correct. Yeah, and and you know, I think maybe a lot of people who haven't who haven't sold houses before don't realize how easy it is to get a loan within three years as long as you have kept your nose clean. It, it, it doesn't matter what exactly. happened prior to three years ago. Like like FHA, FHA has like a two-year look-back period, and you could have had a foreclosure <laughs> two years ago, right. and you can still get an FHA loan. So so that is, that is important that you don't want to, what I call, set people up to fail, right? You don't want to put them in a house that needs more work than they're capable of doing. You don't want to put people in a house that they can't afford the monthly rent because they're just going to end up getting evicted and losing their option fee. You don't want to put people in a house that's only worth 75 that you're trying to sell them for 150 because it's not going to appraise. You don't want to give people one year when they're going to need three years. So all all of this is just kind of basic. I don't know. It's To me, it's like almost business ethics. And I know there are folks who say, who say, no, no, I don't want my tenant buyers to buy because I actually make more money by moving them in and out, right? I make more money on the option fees and the monthly rent over 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 twenty years than I would over three years if they bought the property. And my my feeling about that is, if you want to rent, rent. Don't don't tell people don't tell people they're going to buy a house or that you're trying to help them buy a house if that's not what you're doing. Correct. And uh, on a personal note, we get a tremendous amount of referrals from our clients for other friends of theirs because they like the process. They like the product that we're giving them. You know, we like the fact that we're charging them, say, I don't know, 900 a month. We're not trying to gouge them for 1400 a month. It's all about having a, a good system and doing things right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, we've got the rent, we've got the option fee, we've got the option price, which is just the overall purchase price of the property. We've got the term, which you say you like to do three years. The The rest of that contract, because most of the option contracts I've seen are two to three to four pages long, is really about what happens off in the future at the closing. It, it says, I'll pay for these things, you'll pay for those things, this is how we will do the title transfer, all of that sort of stuff. Is there anything super important that you... You want you want to see in people's option agreements in those other details. Um, I, I'm going to split my closing cost like a traditional sale. I'm not going to try to back end and say they're paying all the fees. They're not getting any credit for taxes. We're doing it like a traditional sale. We're paying our half. They're paying their traditional half. So okay. once again, it, it makes us feel good. Okay. 
All right. uh, Very good. Uh, We need to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, some of the practicalities. How many of these tenants actually are going to buy? What happens when they don't buy? All of those good things that you listeners are sitting there thinking about. Uh, We will be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We're down to the last segment here of our pre-recorded show with Matt Reed about um, lease options and how they work. And uh, Matt, this is great. I really appreciate you being on because this is yeah. this is a lot of detail yeah, that problem. I think people need to know. Because uh, there's there's I don't know, like anything else, there's there's real information about there out there about lease option, and then there's hype out there, and we're mm-hmm. <laughs> we're trying to kind of. Bring it down to what an experienced person says about how this really works out in the real world. And I just I want to say I I see potentially two kinds of people out there listening who are thinking, yeah, this might be for me. One one kind is landlords who have the types of properties you are describing, but they're not really happy with the landlording business. Right. They don't like the they don't like the maintenance they don't like they, they and maybe Correct. they're getting toward the end of their careers and they got to sell the houses anyway so they're thinking maybe i could find someone who was not an investor who would buy it maybe pay me a little bit more take care of it and i'd be doing a good thing for the neighborhood by putting a homeowner in it the other kind of person that i see is the the, the folks who've been uh drawn into the whole wholesale retail type quick cash business because uh, you mentioned that some of these properties, even after you pay your principal interest taxes and insurance, are cash flowing three, four hundred dollars a month. Correct. Retailers aren't getting that. Uh, right. <laughs> In general, okay, we're, we're not talking California where you can wholesale a property and maybe make fifty thousand, whatever. I feel in our Cleveland area, in our price range, maybe wholesalers are making. I don't know, three to eight thousand dollars ballpark, uh, five thousand kind of on the average for at this price range. You know, we're getting a property where we're going to get a non-refundable deposit for say three to five thousand up front that's going in our pocket. So over one year, you know, that property can you know maybe make you eight or eight or ten thousand dollars. And I like consistency, knowing the first of every month I kind of get happy, versus going out to try to find another wholesale dealer and beating somebody down, I would rather see consistency with cash flow. Mm-hmm. That's wealth building, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to get this 3 to 5% up front each time, then that is almost a wholesale fee for the typical <laughs> for the typical wholesaler. Because obviously that scales, right? Here our average wholesale Correct. fee is 7000 bucks, but I think the house that you're describing, if it were here in Cincinnati, it would be a ninety dollars to $120,000 house, so it would be a bigger upfront fee for that, too. And um, plus the cash flow, plus the big back-end check, assuming that everything works out. So uh-huh. just just for the for those of you who are into the quick cash, and you, some, some folks are into it because they've got, they've got immediate cash needs they need to solve, and that's great. They should be into it. They should solve uh-huh. those. But if if you're kind of past that point, this, you know, lease options are kind of a dip your toe into the water of owning the asset without having the intensive entanglement in it, as Ron LeGrand calls it, (laughs) the intensive entanglement that uh, owning a rental for years and years and years and years might create. Correct. All right. So so let's let's uh, practicalities. Um, Three years is up. 
tenant wants to now buy this house, what process does he go through to make that happen? Okay. Um, with our two uh, buckets of properties, we deal with your you know sixty, seventy thousand dollars say city homes, and then maybe one hundred to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars starter suburb homes. We've found out that you're going to get about a forty to a seventy five percent conversion rate, meaning forty say 30 to 50% on the lower homes, but you're going to get a substantially higher conversion rate on the more expensive homes because you're basically dealing with a seller or a buyer that's owned a home. Maybe they went through a divorce, bankruptcy, foreclosure, on and on and on, job gap. They know the program a little bit better. There is going to be a little bit of a hand-holding when the person goes to get the loan. You may need to offer some extra seller concessions, maybe... If the gentleman had a price of seventy thousand and the appraisal comes at sixty-eight, well, I say don't be a jerk. Cross out the seventy, sell it to for sixty-eight, and call it a day. So there is a little bit of work, but I've had some homes that have sold. I didn't know anything about it. I get a call one day, hey Matt, you know we're not running anymore. We got our loan approved. <laughs> then we do have the other people that we, you know. There's fifty calls back and forth to the loan officer. How does this work? How does this work? Call our attorney. There is a little bit different, but these things do close but it does take a little bit of work. I will tell you that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so basically whatever it was that was keeping that tenant buyer from buying before it's, and it's usually, I mean, let's face it, 90% of the time it's bad credit. It has to get resolved and they've got three Correct. years to do that. And there's, there's programs right. that they can get into legitimate and illegitimate programs that right. they can get into. Uh, some of the more legitimate programs are like FHA credit repair, right? Get with an FHA mortgage Correct. broker and they can tell you exactly what you need to do and not to do in order to get your right. loan. And then they, you know, make their loan application, go through that process, and there's a what looks like a fairly normal closing by the time you, you get to it. Absolutely. Sometimes the bank may want to take our standard purchase agreement and, and put it in their purchase agreement with all the terms and conditions just copied over and initialed. Mm -hmm. that, that, you know, that kind of stuff comes up. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Maybe the bank requires something else. Who knows? But you know, we're all adults here. If this tenant has a medical bill that's 1000 bucks that they have to pay off to get their loan, they have to pay it off. I can't force them to. Mm -hmm. But if they need another six months or a year, I have no problem extending it out two years. I want my tenants to be happy and do a good deal with a good person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you said that 40 to 75% is the success rate. And what, what uh, you're saying in the nicer neighborhoods, it tends to be more because, Correct. because the folks are just, they're just used to going through the process of buying a house. Is that what it is? Correct. Um, they have bought a house before they know what to do and they will act on improving their credit. Mm -hmm. um, I just had one of our most expensive houses sold to almost a $300,000 house, which is not normal. But that gentleman, he needed one year after bankruptcy. He did everything he said he was going and got his loan and bought the house. Mm -hmm. Sometimes with the lower income homes, you have to do a little bit more hand-holding on things that you don't even think about, uh, you know, making sure you have copies of their rent payments to you because the bank's going to require copies of checks. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, that's a little bit more. And that's a that's a great observation because, uh, you know, folks, folks who folks who tend to be drawn to the real estate investment business also tend to be people who've gone through the process of buying a home before. And it doesn't it in no way intimidates them. It's not it, it can be a little confusing, but at least they know who to ask questions. Right. They know where to go. They know. 
how to fill out the paperwork, all of that stuff. And it is in in the in the several hundred, less than you, but several hundred lease options that I've sold over the years. Um, I've sold a lot of them to people who they were the first person in their family ever to own a home. Mm-hmm. Like, like their their parents didn't, their grandparents didn't, their great grandparents didn't, and w- when you think about how intimidating that process must be to someone who's only ever rented, I mean, it's just like total mystery, right? Like, like I have no right. idea where to go, what to do, who to talk to. Don't know if I'm getting ripped off or not. Don't know if these fees are normal. It, it does. It has to be very intimidating to to folks who have never even seen somebody close to them go through the process, and so. Uh, I think the handholding is an important is an important part of it. All right, you know, and one thing that's as simple as it can be, we get checks for everything. And I've had a lot of tenant buyers that say, "Well, somebody wanted to do a rent to own with me, but he wanted me to show up with five thousand dollars in cash." I personally have had that happen, and I said, "What do you want me to do with this? Go back to the bank, get a certified check, so you have records." <laughs> that's mm-hmm. true. <laughs> no, I, I believe you. I believe you. Um, and, and, and most likely it's a woman who would say, I can't believe that you're not taking this cash. I said, I'm not, because you are not going to be able to show where your down payment came from. Uh-huh, 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 very true. So uh, if if 40 to 75% of the people are succeeding, that means 60, 25 to 60% of the people are not buying the house. What happens then? Correct. Number one, maybe they got a job in, you know, maybe from Cleveland they took a job in Cincinnati because it's, such a great area. I can't do anything about that. Yes, they will lose their down payment money, but maybe they just need a little bit more time. We will extend them out. Or the third is they buy the property. I want to make a good deal to have a good name and get a ton of referrals. But if they don't want to, you know, if they don't want to up, up their credit and buy it, I, I can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, if they get a great job in Silicon Valley, oh well. <laughs> but you know, it's at least. We try to figure out that we're giving them a lower monthly rent payment, and over those three years, even if they lose their 5000 they would have paid more in just rent anyway. So it's a net, net wash. Mm-hmm. So so option, assuming that the house doesn't get bought, option A is they stay on as tenants for a while and you keep letting well, them try I'll, to buy I'll it. Just, I'll, I'll, I'll just cross out their uh, date and, and extend it another three years. Okay. And option B is they go, they go off in whatever direction they're going to go and you keep their option fee and I, one assumes go in and recarpet and repaint and do Correct. it again. So Correct. it's not, that, it's not that, a tragedy. That, that does happen. I don't want it to happen, but it does happen. <laughs> right, right. Okay. So um, last question, because we only have literally like two sure. minutes left here. There's always a worst case scenario with any strategy. You know, there yes. in 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 wholesaling, it's I didn't sell the house. In retailing, it's I spent fifty thousand dollars more than I was able to sell it for. What is the worst case scenario in in a lease option, and what can listeners do to kind of mitigate that? I prefer to try to. Pay, okay, let's say somebody can't pay rent. I will do anything I can not to have an eviction. And we have knock on wood. Everybody, listeners, knock on wood here. Work with the client. Hey, this marriage isn't working. You can't pay the rent. You need to move on to an apartment or something else. Here's 500 bucks. Just move. If your listeners think that they're going to have move out to 10 o'clock at night and cause $20,000 in damage to your house, you have what's called liability 
coverage. And I always stress this. Make sure you have, if they beat up the house crazy, that you are covered. Most people forget that. But realistically, the worst case scenario is they can't pay rent. You lose a month. Maybe you slightly paint the property. Um, I don't want to tick off the cook before he gives me my meal. So I'm going to do everything I can to work with that client. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. That, that's, that's my Okay. So worst case scenario, probably not all that bad, assuming that you, of course, have your education in place. You've put the right tenant in there in the first place. You have the right, uh, you bought the right deal in the first place. You rehabbed it right. Uh, It's all, all, all of these, all these conversations are always based on the idea that you went out and got your basic education. Um, Matt Reed will be speaking at the Central Ohio RIA group in June. You can get more information about that at centralohioria.com. And it's Cincinnati RIA in July. More information about that at cincinnatiria.com. Matt, very much appreciate you being on today and and being willing to get so down into the the weeds about how (laughs) these things worked. And I look forward to seeing you in Cincinnati and Columbus in the next couple of months. Great. Not a problem. I appreciate it. Appreciate educating your listeners. Thank you so much. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing.